0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, reading verses 1 through 17. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's words It's found in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that we would... that you would sweeten this part of your word in our hearts and in our lives, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves, the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. Praying in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who together with you and the Holy Spirit reigns as one God forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, last week, we kind of finished our series on the seven I am sayings by considering that seventh I am saying, I am the vine. And we certainly saw an emphasis in the text on remaining. Uh, one of the main points in this text on Jesus being the vine is our remaining in the vine. Uh, let's just review that for a second. Just listen Remain in me as I remain in you. It must remain in the vine. You remain in me. You remain in me. If you do not remain in me, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, now remain in my love. You will remain in my love. Remain in his love remember how Jewish mothers taught their kids to make sure that they uh, communicated in such a way that their kids got the point, uh, that those listening got the point. And one of the key things that Hebrew mothers taught their kids was to repeat their vocabulary. So it's, it's undeniable what this text is about. It's about remaining uh, in the vine. And so we talked about how that was necessary and how our lives are fruitful when we remain in the vine, and how ultimately our remaining in the vine is to the glory of God. But what we really didn't address is, how do you do it? How do you remain in the vine? What does it mean when Jesus says, remain in me? Or as some of your translations will say, uh, following in the tradition of the King James, Abide uh, in me. Uh, how many hymns have the language of abiding in Christ, abiding in me? Uh, it comes from the King James language that some of our more modern translations still uh, use. The NIV that I've read fr- uh, from uses the word remain. So the question this morning is how do you remain in the vine? Now it has to be set up front that. John nowhere says specifically, this is how you remain in the vine. But he does give us some very clear hints, uh, two in this text and one in another chapter in John. He gives us very clear uh, hints as to how we remain in the vine. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So three things. Uh, First of all, You remain in the vine by having His Word remain in you. John says this in the seventh verse of the text that we have read. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, there's some kind of symbiotic relationship going on between God's Word remaining in us and us remaining in the vine. John says something very similar in the first chapter of John, chapter 2, verse 24. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning... Well, it has to be from the beginning of what? Since, Since this is coming from John, he's probably talking about see what you have heard from the beginning of the teaching of Christ... See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. So once again, John has this idea of connecting our remaining in the vine, in the Son, and what we have heard from the beginning, His word, His teaching, remain in us. But he still hasn't explained that very well in terms of what that relationship is. I think he gives us more insight into this connection between the word remaining in us and us remaining uh, in the word in John chapter 8, 31. Turn to that text if you would. John chapter 8, verse 31. And there uh, uh, John says to the Jews who had believed him, that is who had believed Jesus, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And this text gives us two key insights into what it means for the word to remain in us and for us to remain in the word. How do we do that? First of all, it's simply by believing him. Notice it says, to the Jews who had believed him now when normally when we say to somebody i believe you what's the universe of discourse what are we talking about there normally that means you have told me something and i believe it and that's certainly at least part of what's going on here in this verse to the jews who had believed him to the Jews who had believed his teaching, to the Jews who had believed what he said. In John chapter 2, verse 22, we read that after Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken after the resurrection, the disciples came to a new level of faith in Christ. And that new level of faith in Christ was coupled with their believing the Scriptures, and that in the New Testament would refer to the Old Testament. But not only did they believe in the Old Testament Scriptures, but they believed in the Word of Christ, which were on the same level as the Old Testament Scriptures. So how do you How do you have the word of Christ remain in you? Well, it simply starts by believing Him. That means believing what He said. And of course, to believe what He said, you have to know what He said. And there you see the connection between Him remaining in you and His word remaining in you and you remaining in Him. It's a... It's a relationship. It's a, an ebb and flow, a give and take, whereas you stay in the word, believing what you're reading, especially what Christ has said. Now, in Reformed churches, we're not so big on uh, red-letter editions, right? Because we, um, the whole of the Bible is God's word, right? And, and in that sense, there's nothing uh, special, well, my, uh, my Bible's red letter. Uh, it's the electronic version that I have. I can't turn the red lettering off, I don't think. But it's okay. I don't really think that the words of Jesus are somehow more scripture than any other scripture. And yet in the Gospel of John, there is a focus of attention on the words of Christ, the teaching of Christ, believing what Christ said, because believing what He said is believing Him. And so there's no separation, you see, between believing Him and believing what He says. It all goes together. And so believing in what He says is ever so personal. And so we we have His Word remain in us as we believe Him, as we believe every word. That he has said. And of course in addition believe every other word that's contained in the scriptures. But especially. Jesus says. As we believe. His word. What he said. We remain in him. As his word remains. In us. But notice in our verse in 831. It's not just believing in him. To the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said. If you hold. Hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now the word hold here in John is the same word that is translated remain through the whole of John chapter 15. One of the real strengths of a translation like the NASB or the ESV is they're going to do their best to use one English word every time there's a Greek word throughout the whole translation to help you make these connections. Uh, One of the downsides of that is that it doesn't always come across as the best English. So there's a trade-off that has to be made. Uh, Here the NIV has gone to hold on to my teaching. You get that, right? Uh, That makes perfect sense. But it loses connection with John chapter 15 because it's the exact same word. It's the word remain in the NIV, or if you're looking at an ESV, you probably have the word abide. You see, it's the same word. Hold on means remain in or abide in, and my teaching is just uh, rendering my word. See, if you hold to my teaching, if you remain in my word, if you abide in my word, that's how the word remains in us. It remains in us As we remain in it, as we abide in it, we could just say, Jesus says, if you you remain in my word, you are really my disciples. If you stay in my word, but it's not just kind of stay in it, then we might think that it means as long as we have our devotions in the word every day, we're staying in the word. Oh, but there's more to it than that. And that's what the NIV captures when it says, if you hold to my teaching. See, you could read the scriptures every day and not hold to the teaching of Christ. Not really remain in that word. And so that word is not remaining in you. And that's where we see this combination of of not just reading the word, but believing the word, holding on to it as the truth of God for your very eternal salvation. That's why at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul, using completely different language, but telling us the exact same thing, the Apostle Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. Now when he says I have kept the faith, faith can be used in two different ways. It can be used kind of subjectively as my act of believing. So Paul could be saying, I have, I have believed until the very end. or faith can be used objectively that, body of sound doctrine. And that's what Paul means here. He's saying, I have through my entire ministry held on to that body of sound doctrine. Uh, And therefore there was something laid up for him. Paul says he kept the faith. John says, Have the word remain in you. It's all saying the same thing. Uh, One of the key things to remaining in the vine is to make sure that the word remains in you. And the way that you make sure that the word remains in you is that you remain in the word, not just reading it, not just listening to it read not just listening to explain all of that is essential, but holding on to it, believing it with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So the first how-to in terms of remaining in the vine is you remain in the vine by having His Word remain in you. The second thing that Jesus at least hints at in our text is that you remain in the vine by remaining in His love. If the vine is love and you are not, it's pretty hard to say that you're remaining connected to the vine. The way we remain in the vine is by remaining in His love. And this John gets at in verses 9 through 14 of our John chapter 15. He says it so clearly in John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. But once again, we're faced with the question, okay, we know we're supposed to remain in His love, we're supposed to abide in His love, but... How do we do that? How do we remain in the love of Christ? And uh, in this text, there are two things that we're told about that. The first way we remain in His love is simply by keeping the commandments in general. Verse 10. If you keep my command, you will remain in my love. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The way we remain in His love is by keeping His commands. And so we can see that there's ever so close a relationship between having His word remain in us and our remaining in His love. They're really different ways of talking about the same thing. John, so to speak, has just flipped the coin over at this particular point. Just in the previous chapter, John chapter 14 and verse 15, uh, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if you keep the commandments, you remain in his love. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. And so once again, there's, a, there's this cyclical, there's this symbiotic relationship between the keeping of the commandments And love. A pretty unpopular concept, by the way, in our day and age. Uh, Love is extremely ethereal, extremely undefined, not only in our culture in general, but that culture has made its impact on the way love is discussed even in the church. Uh, Very abstract, good feeling, making sure you never hurt anybody's feelings for any reason at any cost. But Jesus makes it quite clear that love is very concrete. It's just keeping the commandments. If you, now, you can keep the commandments without having a heart of love for people. You can keep the commandments in a mean-spirited way in your relationship with each other. That's not love. But certainly not loving uh, by keeping the commandments is a contradiction Well, you see, I'm running off with the secretary at work, Uh, even though she's married and I'm married, because we just love each other. Well, we read this morning, didn't we, that that's not quite the case, right? Because love does not do what? Love does not commit adultery. So whatever that is, whatever that is, it's not love. I remember, I just thought, I remember a sermon I heard when I was in seminary by a fellow seminarian, and um, uh, he, he was basically trying to define what sexual lust was, and he said, it's real simple, it's hormones. Now, r- committing adultery might have a lot of hormones, but it does not have any biblical love. Love is the keeping of the commandments. It is very concrete. So how do you remain in His love? By keeping His commands in general. But second, in particular by loving each other. John 15, 12, my command is this. You see, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. And here's Here's the big command that I want to focus your attention on. My command singular is this, love each other. Love each other. And at the end of this section, verse 17, this is my command, love each other. If he repeated it, it must be important. So you remain in His love by keeping the commands in general and by keeping the command to love each other in particular. There is a hierarchy of ethics at times. Keeping all of God's commands is important, but sometimes God singles out something that is especially important, and here Jesus does. We keep his commands as our demonstration of our love, but that demonstration comes in particular as we in the body of Christ love each other. Again, earlier in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, I am not real big on, oh, I don't know, like three quick steps to being a successful father. Five key things to do to make sure that you live to the age of 101. I'm just, there's often good stuff there, but you know that life is never as simple as three quick steps. Well, I'm going to kind of, Violate everything that I just said. (laughs) And I'm going to give you one, not quick, not easy, but one key step for successful life together as you as a congregation are moving into a new era of your existence. And here it is. Just love each other. I can guarantee you Health as a congregation, if as you move into this new era, you love each other according to the scriptures. Now, I'm kind of preaching to the choir, I hope. Uh, I know you well enough to know the kind of relations there are here. But I don't know you all that well to know all the dark side. I see the smiling side. But anywhere you have two people, you have some dark side showing up from time to time. Three, you got more. Just love each other. Now, in a couple of weeks, Seth is going to be one of those each other's. His wife is going to be one of those each other's. His children are going to be each other's in this congregation. And of course, while it's important that you love each other, in this transition, it's really important, and moving into the future, that you love the pastor and his family. Now, I've gotten to know Seth a little bit. Seth is not me. Seth is not Mike Glodo. Seth is not Mike Allen. Seth is not Mike Osborne. Seth is not Mike Malone. You got a lot of Mike's going on here. Did I ever tell you the story my, did I ever tell you the story about my wife's last boyfriend in high school before we started the date in college? Take a wild guess as to what his name was. <laughs> Mike. Guess what my mother in law still calls me? 45 years later, she still calls me Mike. I respond to Mike as much as I respond to Mark. It's kind of all the same to me. But the point is, the point is that as a pastor, Seth is his own man with his own strengths, with his own weaknesses. He's the man that God has given to you as a congregation. And love each other and above all else love your new pastor and love his family what what's that what's that what's that look like well maybe we just listen to this for a moment love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast always hopes, always perseveres. I'm not much on three steps to being a successful father, but I'm pretty big on this one thing for you as a congregation as you move into the next era of ministry that God's calling you to. Love each other according to the scriptures and it will go well with you. Now, I mentioned the fact that there are two how-tos in our text and there's one elsewhere. And uh, the elsewhere is not going to get very much time. I'm going to deal with it more briefly than I have ever dealt with any other point in a, any Sunday morning. Here's the third thing that Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John but elsewhere on how to remain in Him. Number three, by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. In John chapter uh, 6, verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. Now, there's a lot that we could say about this text, and I'm not going to say anything at all about it. I'm just going to tell you this is our third point. It just so happens that, Lord willing, I'm going to be here next Sunday. And it just so happens that next Sunday is our celebration of the Lord's Supper. So wouldn't it be great if we just kind of took up where we left off right here next Sunday in our celebration of the Lord's Supper and unpack what Jesus says when he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. How do you remain in the vine, by having his word remain in you, by remaining in his love, by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So since I haven't finished the sermon, I can't like have a conclusion to the sermon, but I do want to have a conclusion to at least the first two things that we've said about remaining in the vine. And that is just to answer this question that might be on your mind. How do we understand this emphasis on holding on to sound doctrine and keeping the commandments as the way to remain in the vine in light of the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone? Well, I want to answer that uh, primarily just by reading to you from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 15 and verse 3. Now, this chapter is on repentance. But we could really pull out the word repentance and we could put in it holding on to sound doctrine, keeping the commandments. Although holding on to sound doctrine and keeping the commandments is not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin, or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ. Yet, yet, holding on to sound doctrine and keeping the commandments is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon. Without it, I just conclude by reminding you of the gospel that our only hope of remaining in the vine is because the Son remained in the Father for us. You see, the the Son had the Father's word remaining in Him, and He remained in the Father's word. The son remained in the love that the father had for him and he had for his father. And he did it with absolute perfection. And we, uh, we either read about that. No, 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 no. We prayed about that as we prayed our way through that portion of Romans chapter 8. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death because what the law was powerless to do, God has done for us by sending His Son to be a sin offering in our place so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who walk not according to the old nature but according to the Spirit. The New Testament, when it calls us to keep the commandments, to love each other, uh, understands that it's giving a call to people who don't by nature keep the commandments and who don't love God with all their heart and with all their soul. So, from one perspective, it's not realistically calling for a perfect obedience. That's the obedience of Christ. Of course, the Bible does say, be perfect, as I am perfect. But God's saying that to people that He knows is imperfect. So that's the high goal. That's what we fall short of. That's what Christ has done for us. And so what do we do now? We strive Realizing that our obedience is not going to be perfect. Oh, if, if you think in, in your heart of hearts that to remain in the vine, you have to have a perfect obedience to God's law, you're either going to live depressed or you're just going to give up on the faith altogether because you just know that's not possible. That's when you have to walk by faith and not by sight. You've got to believe him. You've got to believe Jesus and who he is and what he said and what he's done and that he's lived that life of perfect obedience for you and he's died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of your sins. So this is not a perfect obedience, but it is a genuine obedience. A genuine striving. To hold firmly, to sound doctrine in all that you think, in all that you say, in all that you do, especially as you learn more and more to love each other. Genuine obedience that includes, by the way, the confession of sin for forgiveness. You see, if you're going to hold on firmly to all of the teaching of Scripture, that means you're going to hold on to the scripture that says if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, a genuine obedience is an obedience that realizes it's not a perfect obedience. But it is a true obedience that even includes confessing our sins and trusting, believing Him for the forgiveness of our sins. You see, how well we remain, how well of a job we do remaining in Christ is not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin. Yet, Remaining in Christ is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. May God grant you grace to do everything that you can do while relying upon the grace of God to have His Word remain in you and for you to remain in His love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray, Holy Spirit, that we would uh, seal, that you would seal this word on our hearts today. That we might have the grace uh, necessary to have your word remain in us and for us to remain in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.